everybody, it's Stacy. I'm gonna record, hopefully, a quick, quicker podcast. I've gotten two emails this week, and I wanted to first thank you for reaching out and sending questions. I've gotten two sets of questions. One is from um, someone who says she's got a kind of a tongue-in-cheek question, and it is um, here. It is. I'm just gonna read the question and then talk about it. All right. Does God love women more than men? There are usually more women in church services. Are men more sinful than women? There are more men in prison than women. And this is something that she said she's pondered on and off, but um, is, you know, sort of tongue in cheek. So let's look at these. Does God love women more than men? And are men more sinful than women? And looking at um, the kind of the the rational thought around that is, well, are there more? If there are more women in church services, does that mean that God loves women more? And if there are more men in prison, does that mean that God loves them less? Um, so, I wasn't quite sure exactly how to reply to this, other than saying. This is um, an interesting thought because I, I think what it takes, at least what it takes me to, is it makes me consider, well, why does, why does God love us and who does God love? And I think that I'm immediately reminded that um, God loves the world, right? He loves all of us and we were all created in his image. So from that perspective, I don't think that we can separate men and women. Um, uh, plus, we know that you know uh, Romans and Romans. We read one of the one of the verses that comes to mind is that nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So, if nothing separates us, then that means prison walls don't separate us, and the walls of church don't separate us, pews, and whether we're in the pews or not, that doesn't separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So the next thing that this takes me to think about, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm saying, no, God doesn't love women more than men, and men are not more sinful than women, because we've all fallen short, we've all sinned and fallen short. So we're all on common ground from that perspective, all of us, whether we're man or woman, we've all fallen short. Our righteousness is only um, through, is only achieved through the death of Christ and through, through Christ himself, he is our righteousness. And nothing, once we're his, nothing separates us from his love. So, that then takes me to my next thought, which is how, how are we, who, I, hmm, how do I say this? What, what, can we, what can we think of next in regard to who's within the walls of a given place or outside of the walls of a given place? I guess what I would say is I don't, I, I, I think that we, put too much weight on um, 
and just listen to my whole thought process here because I might ramble just a little bit. But I think that we put too much weight on the walls of a given church building because we get used to going into a church building and considering that the body of Christ, when in reality, the body of Christ is is uh, has nothing to do with with walls it's entirely everyone that's chosen by god that follows god that claims jesus christ as their lord and savior no matter where you are on a deserted island or um you know wherever you happen to find yourself on the top of a mountain or uh, in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean, like no matter where you are or whether you're in church or not on any given Sunday, you're his. So it's not really about location. Uh, God connects with us through the Holy Spirit and we are his no matter where we find ourselves. The benefit of finding a community, if we're lucky enough to find a community that's healthy and that um, is one that encourages our growth and development as Christians, so it, it encourages our discipleship growth, not just by kind of sticking us in a small group, but by actually training us and bringing us closer in relationship to Christ. That's discipleship. So the benefit of finding a place and the benefit of sitting in a pew sometimes or sitting in a meeting house or sitting around a coffee table with people that are fellow disciples of Jesus Christ, the benefit of that is that we should be growing in love, um, just like we see in Ephesians 4 with the body coming together and growing because we're... um, we're following our purpose and we're following him and we are learning more about him through each other. So, uh, no, you know, I, I don't think it has anything to do with our location. Uh, plus, we, I mean, we know, we, we know that because we're all sinners and we all fall short, that sometimes we do end up in jail or we do end up in a situation in which we have no community or we're we're separated from community for whatever reason. But again, I think that the verse that comforts me as I consider this is that nothing separates us from the love of Christ Jesus. Okay, so I, I think that I, and that's Romans 8.39. Um, so that was the first email that I got. Thank you so much to my friend who sent that one in. And the other one that I received um, has to do with a topic that has become pretty interesting to me over the past couple years, and it's about this concept of being... Well, it's mixing in a few different questions, really, but it's the question about coverings and question about hierarchy and specifically how um, some churches establish male leadership and male and, and, and hierarchy and that men are higher in, in the hierarchy than women, and that's both in church and at home. So some denominations, not all, but some denominations and some 
um, even sometimes it's not even, it's within the same denomination. Some churches will um, establish this type of a male hierarchy and, and you'll hear that come out in various messages and you'll see it um, displayed in, in the choice of, of you know, who's, who's selected to be in leadership of, and what types of leadership positions and who is able to um, become or, an ordained pastor and who is not. So you see these things crop up, and in this email, she's um, talking about a few of these concepts. So I thought I would go through these um, and talk about them because they're really important. And specifically for women, which I think most of my listeners are women, shout out from the men if, if that's not the case, but I hear mostly from women that listen. And um, this, is a, this is a topic that's important because it can shift our perspective of our, re, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ and w- who he thinks we are as women and the value that he, he places in us as women as compared to um, men. I, I re- there's a, a resource I'm going to put in the show notes, but I want to point out a, a couple of, of scholars who, um, I mean, these, these resources are ones that you should just dig into because they are going to be um, resources that you can use to further your own study because these women that I'm going to give you these names, these women have done some amazing research and you and, and it will benefit you to, to, to get these resources. So the first one is Lucy Pepiat and she has written um, I've got two books of hers in front of me right now. And the first one is called Unveiling Paul's Women. Her last name is P-E-P-P-I-A-T-T, Pepiat. So Lucy Pepiat, Unveiling Paul's Women. And her most recent book that I just got this month is called Rediscovering Scripture's Vision for Women, Fresh Perspectives on Disputed text. And Lucy is a PhD, and she is the principal of Westminster Theological Center. She's done a ton of research on these topics, on the kind of the clobber verses. Um, And I really value her insight. You can even search her on Vimeo. Um, I think on YouTube as well, I found some of her videos. Some are pretty short. I'll find them and link them in the, in the show notes so you can get started with videos if you prefer. But just go out to Amazon and look for her, look for her books, and I think that you'll be blessed by those. And the other um, resource that I often cite in my podcast is Marg Mosco who has a wonderful website. You can pretty much find anything that you're interested in. And you know what? The cool thing about her site is that you can just even get lost in her footnotes because she she links to so many amazing resources that will just take you on a journey through um, just scholarship from more current scholarship to, to scholarship from long ago. 
that will help you gain perspective because these views of women that we're looking at have been surprisingly um, in my in my research at least the views of women not being able to be pastors and this kind of this vitriolic um, conversation that we hear uh, today uh, especially in the Baptist some of the Baptist churches and that's kind of bled into the non-denominational churches that whole concept of women cannot be pastors that and the the concept of women as subordinate or submissive to men that has come about only since like the 1980s and there are some really good resources that you can find and some videos that you can find that document this shift in the Southern Baptist Convention from one that was embracing um, mutuality and, and women as pastors to suddenly a shift in, in the political um the, the politics of the Southern Baptist Convention. And um, it, it's fascinating and at the same time, very disturbing to see how that went down, how that happened and, and the aftermath of it. But the reality too is that, we've talked about this before, the translations, the versions of, of the Bible that we read also have contributed to some of the confusion because um, in the original text of Hebrew and, and Greek, you run into this situation where you, if you're describing, let's say describing a group of people and you're looking out at a group of people and there are, let's say 20 people and out of that 15 of them are men and five are women, so you're looking at this mixed crowd, um, or it could be that there's three men and and um, twelve women. Like it, it doesn't matter. There's a mixed crowd of men and women. What happens in in um, the languages that you use in those situations? You use masculine um, identifiers, no matter what so it, 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 the only time you will see this the feminine identifiers used is if the entire group that you're looking at is made of women and then that might make a difference um, in the language but so there's the, the care with which the translators have taken to evaluate uh, and make sure that they're using the proper pronouns. And when it is a mixed crowd, it's not just brothers, it's actually brothers and sisters, right? That makes a difference. It makes a difference to women. And men that argue that it shouldn't make a difference, I think they need to put themselves in our shoes and imagine if the scripture was twisted in the other way and just said sisters all the time, I think they might feel a little bit left out. So then the next thing that happens is you hear, well, this is just some feminist uprising and um, they're changing, you know, they want to change the way that the Bible reads and it's no longer, it's no longer accurate. Well, that's not true either because where, it, where you should be translating it and supporting, um, you know, the, the, the appropriate gender um, of the translations, of the words, of the descriptions, you should. And where it's not there, you shouldn't translate it that way. 
So, um, again, that's kind of one of my um, soapbox issues because it has such a major impact on how we interpret and take in scripture as women. So this question is covering a lot of these aspects. I'm going to go through a few of them. And, And my overarching thought to you, and thank you for asking this question, is always, always... No, always keep in mind that your relationship with Jesus Christ is your personal relationship with him. Your connection with him is one to one. There is no one that's responsible for your relationship with Jesus Christ other than you. I've heard sometimes that um, there, there are churches and there, there are leaders that say that men are going to, husbands are going to have to answer for their wives in judge when they're when, when in in heaven. Like they're going to be judged based on the 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 husbands are going to be judged for their for the spirituality of their wives, for their actions on earth, and fathers will be judged um, for their daughters. It's it's always that men are going to be, that men bear this extra responsibility and are going to be judged more heavily for how they've cared and groomed and and um, raised up and taught the women in their lives. And that's just not scriptural. We're responsible, each of us. So there's no there's no man that's going to have to answer for my my uh, my relationship with Jesus Christ. So always remember how personal our relationship is. It has nothing to do with anyone else. And I think that helps. That at least helps me maintain some perspective. And it's sort of like a it's it 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 kind of um, helps me. Uh, center myself in these conversations. I like to I like to remember basics. I like to remember basics like nothing can separate me from the love of, of God and Christ Jesus. And and the fact that my relationship with him is, is a personal one. It has there's there's no one else that has any responsibility other other than me for my relationship. Okay. So let's talk about this whole covering concept because this is confusing and it's it, it's multiple layers of confusion. So um, whenever we hear that word covering, it could it, it could mean many different things. It's strictly in the culture of church today. But typically how it surfaces is is you have to have a um, some people will say you have to have a if you're a woman you have to have a male covering. And that could be pastoral, a, a male pastor. It could be a husband. It could be some kind of a, a male figure in your life that gives you covering. So women sometimes can't perform ministry because it's 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 not under a covering. So sometimes even women's ministry that if women decide to start a ministry, if they they may be frowned upon or discouraged because something's going to go wrong if they don't have the covering of a pastor or the covering of a of a male leader. 
that's also not biblical. So that that concept of covering comes up. Um, another another concept of covering comes up with a very twisted um, cartoon or meme that that surfaces on social media all the time. It, it was created by. <sighs> I don't know. I can't remember if it was Wayne Grudem, if it was part of his um, teaching or whatever. But it's this um, this set of umbrellas. And people that know me joke with me all the time about this because it gets under my <laughs> gets under my skin. These darn umbrellas. But the the what it is is it shows this big umbrella on top that says Christ, and then under that umbrella, there's another umbrella that says man or husband. Under that umbrella, there's one that says um, wife, and under that are, is a small umbrella for kids. So what it's demonstrating is that all of these coverings, so these kids have all of these coverings between them and Christ. They've got the mom, the dad, um, the wives have the husband over them and between them and Christ, right? There's these separations, these umbrellas that are separating people from God. And I've already said earlier, we need to remember that uh, Romans 8, 39, nothing separates us from Christ, not even freaking umbrellas. So I wish the whole umbrella thing would go away because it's annoying. First of all, were there umbrellas in scripture? I mean, can you come up, if you're gonna try to talk about these weird coverings, can you come up with something else that's actually scriptural? Because uh, this whole umbrella thing is just, it, it has so many flaws. Like if the rain is falling, how is it in this crazy meme that the rain hits the Christ umbrella and there's still rain underneath the umbrella that the husband blocks from the wife? Like, it does is Christ insufficient in his power to be able to stop this strange rain from falling on, on the wives? It's very odd. And, you know, just aside from everything else, that set of umbrellas, it... it there's, it says nothing for people who are single or widowed or who have no children or who, you know, th- there's so many scenarios of people that just don't fit into this umbrella meme, which to me demonstrates, too, that it's not, it's just not a good one. Um, it's very, it's, it's, it's inaccurate and it's divisive. Um, because it's it reflects that there there are some additional reason that women are have 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 a separation between them wives are separated from Christ by their husbands and that's just wrong and I think it's um, it's it's wrong to continue when you see that one come around just really think about that one before you like or pass it on because it it's um, kind of uh, negative. All right, so that's the whole umbrella, the covering thing that I think of. But this other covering is, of course, the literal head covering that we find in 1 Corinthians 11. Lucy Pepiat, that's, I mean, that's the whole point of her book. Like, it's an entire book on unveiling Paul's women, and it talks about these coverings and what they can possibly uh, mean. And the the... The issue is, is that there are, 
it is not an easy passage to read. It, it, it doesn't make much sense. It's very difficult. And there are many different interpretations, and there have been debates over this passage for as long as the passage has existed. So the fact that we're still struggling with it today, this is nothing new. The, people have been struggling with this for a long time. I do like to read Lucy's work because she goes through each of the possible um, takes on this passage. And, and where she ends up is um, that Paul is having a difficult conversation with the Corinthians because they've gotten some things wrong. And um, and I'm looking at all of my highlights and everything that I have for her. But basically, she's saying, um, page 66 of her Rediscovering Scripture's Vision for Women, um, that, that the Corinthians have been have have corrupted this creation story that the, the church in Corinth is teaching um, this hierarchical um, uh, scripture and story of creation that is is just inaccurate. And Paul, one of the reasons he is there is to correct, their teaching. So as you um, read her book, she actually uh, talks about where she sees the break, like in the beginning um, of this chapter, in the beginning of the passage, she says that he's actually restating um, what the Corinthians are teaching, and then he turns around after stating their teaching, he turns around and corrects it, and that adds to the confusion of the passage, and it's a translation issue because it would have been more clear in the original language based on the types of, of words and the types, um, yeah, the language, the language that was used would have indicated to people who understood that language that he was kind of going back and forth with them and, and answering a specific thing that they had been teaching. And that would be more obvious in the original language than it is to us. And because it's been translated that way, um, we have a problem with seeing it that way. But there's a lot of confusion in that, in that whole passage because it even brings up the angels, right? And it, it talks about how the angels um, also have something to do with this need for women covering their heads. Um, so after reading through her work, I have to say that I kind of, I just, I agree, I agree with her. I agree with with where she is landing on this, that Paul's correcting a bad teaching in the church, and that in the end, um, where she lands is that we don't have to wear head coverings, which is a good thing because we're not. So if that if that passage is actually supposed to uh, mean that women should be wearing head coverings. We're not doing a really good job at that today. Um, and 
and just that uh, there is no, he's not, he's not saying, Paul is not saying that um, men are, men are uh, more important in some hierarchy, they're higher in this hierarchy to Christ than women are. Uh, he was actually teaching in that, and to the church, to the church in Corinth, he was actually teaching things like you're doing, you're telling the women to be silent, but that's not what um, I say. I say that they can prophesy, and um, that they can, um, you know, that they can teach. That they don't have to be silent. So he's correcting them and saying, "Don't, you're you're telling women to be silent." And I'm saying, no, that's not how we do things in the church. Um, so he's coming back around to Corinth and correcting it. And I think if you read it in that perspective, so if you take the time and look at someone like Lucy Pepiat's research or Mark Mosco's research, and you, you read that and then go back and look at the text and read it again, you start to see how this plays out. This is, this is not easy, and it's not an easy passage to research, but it's so worthwhile to listen to experts who do more than just read the English words on a paper and make a bunch of decisions as a result. They've actually gone back and looked at a lot of other resources and the original language, and they're experts at this, and they still have questions. Like that's still, even with all of, if you think about all the scholars who over time have looked at passages like these and tried to explain them and they still have difficulty, we're not gonna get the answer. We're not gonna get the answer here, which kind of brings me to my, last thought, which is, I believe, truly and honestly believe, that when Christ catches a hold of you, when the Holy Spirit catches a hold of you, things start to become clear in, in His Word, because the Spirit illuminates the Word. It's not just English on a page. I think, I think we have to be wary as Christians, when people teach the Word of God just the black and white English words on a piece of paper, and it's, it's, it's almost void of the Spirit, and you get a check, you get, like you get a check in your spirit when you hear stuff like that. I know, I know that as a woman who is called to leadership, I know that when I hear anything that has to do with women being um, kind of subservient and a subservient role and unable to perform roles in the body of Christ, that's it's more than just um, my humanity that's offended. It's a deeper, it's a much deeper spiritual discernment that I have about that because I know that in the entirety of Scripture, not in just these one or two clobber passages, but in the entirety of Scripture, it's very specific what happens when we become, when we take on Christ and we become temples 
of the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And that spirit is the same spirit. There's no women get this Holy Spirit and men get that Holy Spirit. Like we have, we share one spirit, no matter who we are. Like Galatians 3, there's one thing that we share. When we're in Christ, we share the Holy Spirit. It empowers us in the same way. When it was originally received, it was received by men and women, just like it's received by men and women now. And the gifts of the Spirit, like when you go and you look at at the spiritual gifts of the gifts of the Spirit, it doesn't say, okay, these are the ones for men and these are the ones for women. It just talks about the gift, just like the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say, okay, women are going to be more gentle. And men are going to be less gentle because they're, they have to be men and the protectors. So they're going to be more powerful and, um, you know, women are going to be more silent and more peaceful. It doesn't say anything like that. There's like fruit of the spirit. There are gifts of the spirit and we benefit from them mutually. The other thing is we have to be very careful when verses are taken out of context. If you, you just remember that scripture did not originally have chapters and verses. It, it's just one long, it's, it's one long book, one long, um, one long book. It's separated like that now for ease, for, for our understanding and our ease of use. So if you look at Ephesians 5, which is often quoted as how women must submit to their husbands, never, never forget that verse 521 calls us to mutually submit to each other. And you can't, you can't contradict that and turn around and say, okay, wives have to submit to their husbands when you've just read that we all mutually submit to one another, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And there's, and, and that should be enough to make us pause and reflect and wonder if we're, if we're hearing the right um, message from whoever we're listening to. We're to be mutually submissive. That's a big deal because that is an example of a passage that is misused. Whether it's misused in your life is not important. If it's not misused in your life, then that's a beautiful and wonderful thing, but you have to understand that that is misused and is abused in such a way that it holds women hostage and and bad situations. It holds women hostage in unhealthy communities and churches. It holds women hostage in unhealthy relationships. Um, and and it's it can be dangerous. So mutual submission is a, is a big part of what we're called to do as Christians. And anytime there's power over someone else, you have to be suspect. You have, to, you have to be suspicious. Anytime that we hear in, in Christ's name, someone has more power, a man has more power than a woman, that, that should be something that we have to pause and consider because it's not what we're reading in the, in the entirety of Scripture.
Um, and then I guess, you know, I'm kind of a broken record on the whole Ephesians 4 chapter, but go to Ephesians 4 and, and read about what it's like to be a body of Christ because there's only one head and that head is Christ. So in the body of Christ, there's just one head. No one is more important. No one has more importance than, than that. The rest of the body parts are not prioritized. One is not more important than the other. The head is important. And then the job of all the other body parts is to do their job and to do to follow their purpose and to come together in love, to raise one another up, to empower one another. And that, to me, is a picture of mutual submission, which is a consistent theme that Paul has throughout Scripture. And that makes it easier for me to understand that as he's talking to the church in Corinth, he's talking about a very specific situation going on in their church, and he's correcting it. And that's why it's addressed to that church. So that church is getting some stuff wrong. And I have a feeling that if Paul could write to some of the churches today, he would be telling them the same thing. You say that women can be silent or have to be silent, and that's not what I'm saying. You say that women have to have a covering, and that's not what I'm saying. You say that women can't be pastors. Can you please go back and reread some of what I've written and tell me if that really makes sense to you? Like that's, I think if Paul was gonna write to us today, he would be right, he, he'd still be writing the same stuff. Um, okay, so I hope that I've answered some of your questions and I, um, I love how uh, the second letter, I love how she says, that she is, um, she sees that she's got a difference of opinion, but that she knows that she believes in the equality of men and women in the church and in the home. And that thankfully is what's solidifying her faith to know that God isn't diminishing her. And she's in a good community where it sounds like she's able to kind of question this. And um, it's not an easy path, you know, as you start to want to ask these questions and start to, you know, you, you've maybe held them inside for a long time and, and you, they're legitimate questions and legitimate things that you're wrestling with. And it's hard to actually ask them aloud to other people. First of all, you may not have people in your life that you trust enough to ask these questions to, but it's also just, it's scary. Um, it, because it's, it makes you very vulnerable to uh, attack. And you can be attacked in the church for, for asking questions like this. And for if you're in a church that does not support women in leadership and you start to raise that as an issue, you can become labeled as a heretic. If you, you know, um, if, if, if you start to question leaders in your congregation or leaders in your church, you can be um, cast aside. You can become an outcast. But even though it's, it's hard and it's, um, it's, it's nerve-wracking to go through this process and sometimes you feel like you're alone when you're, when you're wrestling, like um, 
Jacob did in the Old Testament, when you're wrestling like that, when you're wrestling with God on these issues, um, it's so valuable because you you're truly connecting with him in those moments when you're asking those deep questions and you're evaluating scripture and you're looking at some of the tools that you have to to do that next layer of research and you're you're just connecting with the holy spirit and and you and and he gives you his wisdom just like he promises he's going to give you wisdom and and when he does and when he starts to shed light on those difficult topics at that point you've got a choice to make and it's hard once you start, once things are, are illuminated by him, it's, it, you can't cover it up again. Once the, that Holy Spirit is working in you, you can't, you can't not operate in the Holy Spirit. So at that point, you start to have choices to make and you get to decide, you know, what does that mean for you? Does that mean that you have to find a new community? Does that mean you have to kind of break out of where you are and try to find a new place? And that can be difficult and scary and hard. And it's a one of those changes of seasons in our lives that is so valuable to for one season to end and a new season to begin. But that doesn't diminish the pain of the process and the confusion that um, is there. Like the confusion is there and then God sets you free from that confusion. And then, then you have the strength to move forward in the truth. So I just encourage you to continue to walk in that and find the people that help you answer the tough questions and that will sit with you in those questions and and wrestle help you wrestle through those and get to the point of clarity where you know you can move forward um and and then you know the benefit of doing that is (laughs) is you get something new (laughs) you're going to get one issue taken care of and then you go a little bit deeper with with him. And I think that's what our lives look like as Christians. It's definitely not easy, but it's um, it's 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 what brings us fulfillment on this side of heaven. So I encourage you to continue. Gosh, it's 42 minutes. Do you guys see how this happens to me each time? Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. So much for my quick recaps. I will try to get better, I promise. Until then, until next time, um, write me, send me your questions, Stacy at clarityunleashed.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Have a wonderful night or day.